Happy We Met, Season 1, Episode 1. Let's get it. Today's guest is Betsy Kabaker. She's very brave for being the first person to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this, Betsy. Five years ago, she founded the Kabakery, where she makes amazingly delicious and beautiful cannabis-infused macarons. In this episode, we talk about her journey into cannabis, trials and tribulations with compliance, and how baking and selling cannabis-infused macarons ended up being much more difficult than anticipated. Thank you again for talking to me, Betsy. You rock. This is Happy We Met. You want backstory on Happy We Met? Yeah. Shouldn't so, we start with that? What? Shouldn't we start with, like, yeah, like an introduction from you and Well, why? I was thinking I was going to just do that on the page, like okay. just me talking to the camera, like, hey, I'm Michael, I've gone on this journey, because the idea is I've gone on this journey, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, I was like, I want to work in cannabis, mm-hmm. I got the job at Harvest, got to know people, mm-hmm. and was like, all right. I want to get to know more people, mm-hmm. and I want to just really see what's out there. Yeah. So I just started going out, mm-hmm. and the way the phrase "happy we met" came to be was that when I was doing "we know weed," my other three-word catchy <laughs> phrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, when I started "we know weed," I was trying to give out business cards, and I put in this like huge design and put in so much time to like make this like fucking rainbow weed like it was so extravagant and extra but it was like so in line with who I am okay and then I was like I can't hand these out these are fucking ridiculous and like no one's gonna actually want to hire me if I hand them this like child's like camp I could show them to you they were like (sighs) it was like very much so the like camper in me (laughs) sort of vibe like cram like you tell your five-year-old it looks good um, what were you looking at? I thought someone was in my room. No, I think I just bumped this. I think I moved your I couch. I thought I can move with this chair. Um, but yeah, so basically I restarted and I just went super simple and I put my info for We Know Weed and then I wrote Happy We Met on the business card instead Cute. of the logo. Right? Mm-hmm. And then it made me pretty disciplined. I'm like, I only want to give this card to people that I mean that to. Mm. Because I was in, like, cannabis social network. Totally. Slut mode. Yeah. yeah. Just like, go ahead. Yeah, I'm talking to everyone, totally. right? I, was, I like, had to literally... get a Google Voice number because I didn't want people to have my cell phone number. Wow. Yeah. Smart. So... But yeah, so Happy We Met then became a thing, and actually Lee Hopcraft, uh, Hopcraft mm-hmm. who will probably be on this show at yeah. some point, I love Lee. Good guy. Great guy. I was trying to explain to him what I do, I like to connect people, I like to help, blah, 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 because I didn't really have that strong of a spiel for Wiener Weed, because I hadn't really done anything, I was just telling people I could do things. Totally. <laughs> you know? And he was like, oh, is it called Happy We Met? And I was like, no, nah, it's called Wiener Weed, and he was just like, eh. Sounds like it should be called Happy We Met. (laughs) I was just like, oh shit. Um, And then happywemet.com and at Happy We Met were both available. So I was like, oh, all right. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But then I started, yeah. Then I was just like, want to start a podcast? And Happy We Met is like a good generic theme of like, it's just like, I'm happy we met. It's a, I really, I really like the phrase. I like the phrase a lot because 
it's it's very uh, it's very like there's no agenda. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I'm just telling someone I'm happy we met, it doesn't mean it's like appreciating the person and like the moment. Like it's like an appreciation just that the interaction happened. There's so yeah. many interactions we have in a given day with cashiers, with gas people, with like strangers. Um, I don't know. I guess the whole concept the the whole concept it is like on the basis that sometimes there's people in the world that you just meet and you're just like, wow, I'm just like happy I know you. Totally. And I want this show to showcase people that I feel that way about. Starting with Betsy. Awesome. Are we recording? Yeah, this is all being recorded. <laughs> but like, you know, we can start whenever. That's the fun part about this shit. Okay. Um, but yeah, so to kickstart, happy we met. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd be an, uh, an appropriate person because you are the first person that I met in cannabis. Ooh. Well, like, yeah, like pretty much first, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's like a unique title. And so I was like, hmm, well, who should be first on this show? And I was like, of course it should be Betsy because Aww. it's like an objective solution that then I don't you know it's like I can say you're my favorite but really I'm just saying it first and I don't have to even say if you're my favorite or not which is kind of copping out but you get to be first which is pretty cool awesome I'll be first what do you do Betsy why do you think why do you think I wanted to talk to you because you follow me wherever I go (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably um uh, well, you do go, I do think for a long time that was something that I definitely, like, uh, didn't follow you, but if I saw you at events, I was like, cool, I'm at the right event. <laughs> totally. I did a lot of work at that time around going to, like, every single cannabis event that mattered, but it was, like, around-the-clock thing. It was not just at night, which it was every night for, for a few years there, um, it was also going to City Hall, and you were always into that kind of stuff. So um, that was when it was, like, really exciting to see you start integrating into these groups that I had been um, kind of helping organize for a, a while. And now you're running for president, right? Of uh, vice president. Vice That's president. Right. I wouldn't take on, I wouldn't step on David's uh, toes. Oh, yeah. David's running there you for go. president there. again. Yeah, but yeah, this, uh, this December... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be running for vice president of Brownie Mary Democratic Club, which I think you were the first person to tell me to go. And now I go every single month. Yeah. So talk about influencer over here, <laughs> literally influencing the second Wednesday of my life of every month for two and a half years of my life. Wow. That's a pretty strong influence. Pretty quickly. It's not me. It's really them. It's Michael and David. They are gems of sure. all gems. Like, 100%. I don't know what their morning routine is or, like, what you should... I want to know what... I know they are big fans of daily cannabis consumption, <laughs> for one. Smoke <laughs> every day and they, you will be and as we, happy as David and Michael. If you... Man, and they're going to be on this show, too. They, man, we're going to talk... We have so many overlapping friends that I feel like we're going to talk about so many people that I plan on <laughs> talking to on this, but that's great. Um, but yeah, but I guess, yeah, of course, they're great, but I do think that you've always had a good pulse of what's going on. So why don't you just kind of share a little bit about, like, what... Because I don't even fully know. I know... 
a little, but not really like what was like, all right, I'm going to start working in cannabis and here's how I'm going to try and do it. Like, when did you decide I'm going to like cannabis, weed, doing it, that's what I'm going to spend my time. I kind of have to attribute the access that I had to cannabis in my last year of college to actually being in a place where I could suddenly add cannabis to a project that I was working on and then have it become something else. So when I say that, um, I went to college in California and um, upstairs from where I lived were these guys who lived in this town called Pointerina, which had a population of like 500 or something crazy like that. Shout out Pointerina. All they did in this town at the time was cultivate cannabis. Like this was like part of the Emerald Triangle, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Pointerina. It's, yeah, I still look at it. It's they have a more. lighthouse. Um, but anyways, the people who lived above me, they like had a lot of connections to growers and... Um, I, at the time, was starting a pastry business, um, and it, uh... If, if she's stuttering because there's some hammers happening outside, yeah. and, uh, you know, we're just, uh, we're just carrying on with this thing, because I'm actually so interested in this that you need to just keep talking. Okay, no um, hammers are outside taking my attention away. Hammer, it's hammer time. It's hammer time right now. <laughs> Um, we did also smoke. There is a disclaimer here, and mm. I am reaching for it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is grown by this guy who came from Israel to move to California to <laughs> work like in the Moses weed story. industry. Um, but he's actually, he is an amazing cultivator. Who, Joe Snow. Joe Snow. Um, Snow Till Organics. Yeah. And... It's like no-till. So So what does that mean? So it's the same pots that he's used. I think this is probably, I think this particular, this is Pineapple Express, and I think this is from his like 10th cycle. So that means it was the 10th cycle of plant that he grew in the same pot. So when he harvests, he literally just cuts the plant, puts the dry cannabis back into the pot, and it becomes its own soil. So it's like a live soil, but all the soil is made from cannabis and cannabis castings from the worms. And so it's like... Regenerative. Purely, yeah, cannabis soil. And I think, I think the only issue with timing is you lose one cycle a year. I think he shared that with me because you aren't able to do like the prep work in the smaller uh, pots. So you have to just use the same pots, but the weed is freaking... It's great. It's like the best. Yeah, I didn't really, like, I had been smoking pre-rolls the last few months because I get a lot of them at events, yeah. and I it's just easy, you know? You just go for a pre-roll. But then I was lucky enough to have um, Joseph give me a nug at uh, as a gift, and... Once I rolled that and smoked that, it was like game over. What am I doing am I smoking pre-rolls? Like, <laughs> there is such a difference. Like, as much as we, like, I think consumers don't really get that nuance. Like, when you could still smell that tangy in the Turks. air after, like, that is, that is the weed that we should be smoking. Especially if we're in California, like. And it's available. Yeah. But yeah, there's value to pre-rolls, you know. Someone actually asked me the other day if I know how to roll a pre-roll. 
<laughs> roll a pre-roll? I could just like, keep up roll a, a joint? Name for a joint, right? And smoke pre-rolls. So oh it's my like, god, can you roll a pre-roll? A pre-roll. <laughs> People, funny stuff. <laughs> funny stuff. But so anyway, so you're in the you're in the you're in okay, the so, yes, right? you yeah, yeah. So get you, before we start talking about our expertise here, <laughs> okay, we back what okay, what what? Like. Yeah, so I went to UC Santa Barbara, and the house that I lived in was called the Marley House, and it was overlooking the ocean. But and you didn't smoke weed until your senior year. I smoked weed when I was twelve. Okay, um, so you smoked weed before smoked living in the Marley weed House. Weed living before, and actually, Marley is the Marley House is not actually named after Bob, Bob Marley. Marley. I thought it was. Yeah, I did But, too. okay, so the band Revolution, mm-hmm. they all met at that house. At the Marley house. Yeah. And you lived there. I lived there a few <sighs> years later, and, like, the lead, or one of the people who is in the band, their brother lived upstairs for me also. Mm, okay. And so there are a lot of these weird connections with this story. But anyways, so okay. they upstairs yeah. gifted, they had... Lots of gifts. Yeah. And um, they, when they found out that I was making pastries, I suddenly got very curious about adding cannabis to it. Sure. So I just walk upstairs and I'm like, guys, like, I, I need help. Like, I'm trying to make these edibles. And they knew that I was already making macarons because I was doing it literally, like, in the backyard of our house. Um, I would cook in a commercial kitchen in Santa Barbara and then I would come home and, like, I'd do a sen- a, yeah, assembly line style with a few friends and fill all the macarons. So Sick. they always saw me working on this project. And then um, I That's asked them, it, it was it was pretty funny. Um, we can get into that a whole other time. But For anyways, sure. uh, they ended up giving me like a brick of keef and they were just like, take it, like try it out. Let's see what you can do with it. And um I think I probably still have some left because <laughs> they gave me so much and I didn't realize how much they gave me until like years later when I'm watching like hash being sold as like a like little a little tiny bit like and they a lot and um and the beauty of that is that you just add it to whatever you're making. Sure. And so you don't have to turn it into a butter or anything. And I made macarons, so I was very concerned about the consistency of things. And so to have just something that you can add right in was um, really nice. So uh, I started adding keef to my pastries that I was making. And um, did it work? Just throwing keef in the recipe? No well, you have to heat it up. Yeah. And after that, I um, then I would get it lab tested to just see how much it was because I had no idea. Right. And How much did it cost um, to get it lab tested? Not much at that time. Yeah. Yeah. 50 bucks? 100 bucks? I, I wish I remembered. But I, what I do know is that um, Emily Richardson was working for CW Analytical at the time, and this was in 2016, and when I would send samples to the lab, I would fill the box with Halloween candy. <laughs> and <laughs> Because I was like, if they're working at a weed lab, they definitely they, want... They always want candy. Yeah, I mean, just humans Who doesn't in general. Want candy? Yeah, I don't think that's purely cannabis yeah. professionals that no, like candy I, being sent that's, to them. But I was like, okay, like, like let's see what this lab test says. <laughs> I'm sure that... Okay. I'm not doing that anymore. Do you but, remember what was your potency? Do you remember when? Um, it yeah. Back so it the first one, which was really funny. Um, I had an event that I, I did before the lab test came back, so I didn't know how potent the cookies were. And before I would just have to like 
do it myself and right. like my parents wouldn't see me for like two weeks straight because I would be testing my cookies right. and, and they were like 25 milligrams and I was like dying basically yeah. and um then I got it lab tested and but the day before that I had a, an event where my friend David ate like a pile of them he just kept eating them every time I looked over at him he had I was just <laughs> like I don't know what the alphabet these are like what are you doing and this is why people have these adverse like experiences with edibles they don't know what's in them of course you're gonna get too high but then I got it lab tested and it was only seven milligrams and he's a pretty big dude so like I felt like do you think how many did they test do you think that everyone was seven milligrams well, I only had to have one sample tested. And you think, but you, you're confident your recipe was like consistent. So yeah. Like they were all probably around seven milligrams. It yeah, it I mean, have been it, like seven and twenty-five on another. No, one I mean, chance. in the okay. it was uh, the cannabis was in the filling, which was pretty homogeneous. Yeah. So it wasn't like I. I mean, I I mixed it a lot. Like sure. I. Okay. I mean, I don't know. So There's probably some edible, food though. scientists who can help me here, but no. If you're if you're close enough, I was just wondering if it would be like a huge variety or not. But if they were consistent, it didn't seem like it. So like they seemed milligrams. pretty mellow. Yeah, but Viable when I sold product. to dispensaries, I had to sell them for twenty five milligrams a cookie with a box of four for a hundred, a um, hundred milligrams. Uh, mm. and that was because people didn't want five milligram edibles. They wanted like crazy edibles. Right. You were ahead so, of the time. Well, you were, um, yeah. it's still ahead of the time, you yeah. know? I mean, now we're knocked down to 10, but, um, people still always want the max. Yeah. That's like what people prefer is they're looking at potency and price. And that's how it was when I was doing this in 2016. So, um, okay. And so you started making weed macarons and yeah. boom. So now you're working in cannabis, you're slanging weed macarons, <laughs> the ultimate hustle. Yes. And then you're like, all right, um, I want to start uh, seeing what else is going on. Well, so, for me, or, like, I was actually trying to start this business, and okay. I was trying to figure out how the hell do I start a cannabis company. And this, they had Prop 215, so we had yeah. the collective model, and there yeah. were ways to do that, so I would, like check out, okay, maybe I'm going to start a delivery service. How, how am I going to be able to sell these? Um, I started selling to dispensaries in LA and, um, that was the first first store you sold into. I don't even honestly remember what it was called, but it was in like an office building. (laughs) Trap shop of trap Like it was on Santa Monica and something. I'm so bad at streets. But it was in LA, um, in Westwood, and um, just like in an office building. Upstairs. How did did that interaction go? um, This guy actually had an amazing variety of edibles at the time. Like all this stuff that looked so handcrafted because he was the one who was saying yes to these like makers who were walking in being like, we have these bonbons that are really well packaged. And he's like, all right, cool. Right. Um, he had a, I mean, it's not there now. He definitely didn't make it into the regulated market, but at the time, like he was pretty open to it. Um, and I only sold him like a few boxes, you know, like it was, and it was specifically over the holidays, which I think was a really good time. Um, because my packaging itself was holiday themed. Mm. Um, and it was like, no one was doing that also like making seasonal kind of products. So um, I think that was yeah. a differentiator so you made a at the and time. Sold it into 
into a dispensary in LA and I went to a few other, I mean, I, I was trying to get in wherever I could and, um, and then when I moved to San Francisco, I, uh, tried to sell my product to Harvest, which is where we met. Yeah. And when I walked in, they looked at my packaging and they were like, it's not compliant. <laughs> and you're like, what is that? Yeah. Mean? I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? They're, They're bomb. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, is like, it was so stupid because I make really like bomb pastries. And the thing that was, um, the norm in packaging and cannabis was that you couldn't see through what you were buying. Right. So it was so hard to say I'm going to spend $20 on something if you had no it. idea what was even in there. It could say it's a cookie, but like the, the top edible at the time was pro- probably Edipure, which is like just gummies that they bought somewhere wholesale and then sprayed with THC. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Edipure, don't get mad if that's not how you made your gummies. <laughs> but that's it. They, I speculation, think made... speculation, <laughs> yeah. speculation though. But like, um, but like, one would think that that was how they made it. Well, because they had to make a rule in the regulations against that because Ooh. people were doing that. Okay. And so I don't know if that's how they did it. So but you're like, it, but either way, but, what they weren't doing was putting hella time into a beautiful handcrafted delicious macaron or edible in general like no cookies it was just like bricks of rice crispy treats like it was not good and and i was like okay if i make a nice cake i want people to see it like i don't want it to just be in a black box and so that was what made it not compliant because the rule is that you can only have opaque packaging right and so i Suddenly it was like, whoa, regulations. Okay, okay, how am I going to be able to like withstand regulations? So this was before any regulations. This dispensary went above and beyond to be compliant before compliance even happened. So um, I started going to any type of regulation workshop because they were happening all the time where yeah. they were you were able to give public comment to regulators yeah. to try to see if you could protect your interests or like... Um, make sure that they were aware of what problems that you even had right. um, while they're, reg- they're building out the regulations so that then maybe you're protected or maybe they can help in that way. Right. Um, yeah, that's definitely then something that I've like really enjoyed about working in this industry is that although not immediately and although not exactly what people are looking for i definitely do feel as if i've seen the the power of local lobbying and the power of public Mm -hmm. comment definitely really play a major impact in the way business is done just from packaging to you know clarity on who can distribute the product to who where taxes go what should be taxed should be taxed twice like breakdowns in the system and it's been so cool to like see people say hey this is a problem for me it needs to be solved and then you know maybe it's not fully solved but it gets somewhat addressed at least within a few months or that's how the past couple years before uh, with specific things you know I mean they still have a lot of work to do but um all the regulators that I've kind of come into contact with they know that I have a product that can't come to market because of their rules right um, and they're giving me bits that could help me. So like there's the S type license that exists. That's a sh- an ability to share a license, um, 
as or use share, share manufacturing space. yes exactly yeah. and so for me i'm not in a position where i can buy a building and and create a kitchen in you there like consistent I, rent. <laughs> yeah i mean when i had my regular pastry business it was so easy i just rented a kitchen space in santa barbara and i paid a certain like it was like 18 dollars an hour right boom and that easy. was it and yeah. I went to the city office and walked there and was like, hey, can I have a business license? You know, fill out this form, get one. It's yeah. not like this, like, huge, process huge it's not even a huge process. It's like so much money you need yeah. to even apply. And yeah. you don't even know sometimes if you're actually going to get it. Yeah. Like the West Hollywood edible consumption lounges, um, those licenses, you had to have architectural renderings and all of this. Like, I, how am I going to do that right now? Like I know who to contact. Yeah. So now it's like, I'm at this other side of it five years later, which is actually interesting that we're doing this today. Cause five years ago today, today, I, had my first event with the Bakery, which was my original pastry concept um, in Santa Monica. And that was the day that I got booked. Oh, no, I was booked um, to go to that event. And that was the event. Once I like had the logo and everything kind of set up, I was like, I'm going to do this. Huh. Five years ago today. Yep. According to Facebook. Happy five year <laughs> anniversary. Yeah. Right. Except five years later, what do we have? <laughs> no. <laughs> No bakery, but um, a lot better understanding of how to actually make the bakery a real business Definitely. and not just like... And there's no way slamming. it would have been able to happen at that time because the amount of money that you need to participate in this space is like yeah. never ending. Right. It's like constant fundraising. Like that's what you're doing. And so now I'm like, okay, well maybe I'm going to fundraise before I even launch, you know, because totally. I think that um at this point like i i have a lot with this concept that's so much more fleshed out than a lot of these brands like right. a lot of these brands don't have a story like i got that covered like that is what brought me here like that this is something that i wanted to do since i was a kid i just like eventually added weed to it and it just made it so much more fun and dynamic and brought all these amazing people like you into my life and um, I got really addicted to the industry itself, yeah, you know, it's such a, <laughs> it's such a wild world and it's really hard. It's hard as fuck, but yeah. it's like, it makes it worth it because we're like doing things on our own terms also. Totally. And this industry lends itself to an environment of that. Totally. Would you say that, cause you know, right now you're doing marketing, you're, helping companies grow, you're running social media, you're doing consulting. Um, and I've always interpreted that as like kind of where you're trying to go. But this conversation is really the first time that I'm like, the bakery is the dream. Yeah. That's the, like, that's the like, I always thought it was like, yeah, I sold macarons, but like, I'm here to like build a marketing career. But like, nah, you're like building a marketing I mean, I'm doing career it both. to build the bakery. Yeah. I have it inverted though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. that's, okay. I try to, and cool. part of it is that like, I try to lose the idea it's of the bakery. Like I try to lose it. I'm trying to like, okay, be open. Don't limit myself. Right. Like be in this space where like, anything that I wanted, I've been really thinking about like, what is my dream life? Right. Like, 
What is and, your dream life? And that's, I mean, right now it's like I have all the freedom that I possibly could want because I'm a, I'm a freelance consultant. Like I, if right now I, you know, living the dream. Well, it's it's hard because yeah. you also have to be super self like motivating discipline totally to get clients to maintain work like in in this industry is wild it's like two weeks ago i was gonna ask one of my clients for a six month um contract for for the next six months so that i could at least have six months of like i will know that i am getting paid for six months and that stability i really needed and was seeking and Um, the week that I was going to talk to them, which was literally the week later that I had this epiphany that I need more stability in my life. Um, this brand let me go a month early because there's, it's part of a series of also crazy variables, like multiple massive, massive companies in cannabis laying off like tons of people i know it's a tough it's a tough tough industry and and everyone's cash strapped right now yeah everyone everyone gotten clients is a is a testament for two years who you are yeah but now it's like okay like i need like i you got it wait so what are you trying to do with your free time because that was where this started was you're like okay so i i you know i'm a freelance marketer so i get to to have the time yeah so what's the dream life though i want to part of it is also just building good habits like it's things that we've wanted to improve on that were you actually have to do the work and for me it's really deciding to do some the more uncomfortable option even though the comfortable option is really comfortable you know um and that even goes for like waking up at a certain time you know and having those habits of Um, right now I, because I work in cannabis and I'm also freelance in cannabis, that is so much instability that I need to find places that are more stable and building a routine is part of that. So, um, me waking up whenever I choose to wake up and like, if I'm in a bad mood, I'll just let myself sleep longer, you know, or if I'm feeling a certain, like if I don't feel 150% when I wake up, I kind of let myself linger a bit because I'm at the mercy of myself. Like, I also right. can choose, okay, I if I start working at 11, I'll work until 8, you know? Like, I can do that because I work from home. Um, I have an office set up. Like, it, it allows me to do that. And right. But that flexibility, I also realized that there are so many people who are sitting and working every single day very consistently, and the amount of work that they're doing that if I sat down and did that too, I would have a fucking empire by now, you know? But, like, I'm too too flighty I'm very flighty and now I'm trying to sit down and like actually like get into that mode and that repetition so that I can build bigger things and so today I scheduled a call every day at nine o'clock with someone who's also freelance um she does freelance sales for brands and um we're gonna check in with each other every day at 9 30 and just so we have that touch point because I only work for myself, basically. Like, right. I work with... What do you talk about on that call? We haven't had it yet, but it's really more just a, mm. an accountability measure. Right. And if we do it enough, it'll suddenly build into a habit. And so um, I think that that's going to help a lot because, like, it's... I'm missing a team. Like, I don't... I work by myself, so yeah. I know that there are things that I'm missing, like work culture, like... Um, 
socializing. Totally. I, there's there's a that lot what, to it. So that was what ultimately pushed me to want to work for a company, and why I started uh, at Kinslips was I was like, I want coworkers. Like, it's lo- it's super lonely, just like building your own uh, clientele, working on managing your own, them, being also like yeah, yeah exactly. all of it is it's you need support. So now I have people that it's like we don't even work together but we're like making we're both in similar experiences where we're both like we need to have this morning check-in that's cool um so now we're doing it and I think that that will be very helpful and we she and I also talk um once a week in the beginning of the week just to because I realized that I was I was talking to my therapist a lot about work Mm -hmm. and it's like I don't really need my therapist for work I need my therapist to like talk me through childhood traumas that I have that are deeply rooted and like I won't bring up because I don't they're not like in my face they're not right. in my environment they're like not I, I work is like in my they're face not a in my environment. They're, they're there to help personal you and yeah. you have other outlets to work on your exactly business, so. and so I That's scheduled great. a meeting I with like this a with this girl Shima who um does similar things t- that I do and Um, we can just have a space to have that conversation. Like, okay, I mean, we all have, like, things that we wish were better or, or were, you know what I mean? We we need to, like, let it kind of, we need to let off some steam in that way. And so now we have a space to do that. And so hopefully now I will heal with my therapist instead of just, like, talk about... What a great realization. Yeah. And and, and a change. I'm excited for, I'm excited to see, or to hear how that goes for you. (laughs) Because that's a cool... Uh, that's a cool observation and like a very tangible change that can like, that I hope proves very, uh, effective for you. Cause it sounds smart. Sounds good. Yeah. I think it'll See work. You. I believe in it. I mean, I think like having as many spaces as you possibly can to feel safe and sharing is like really, um, helpful. I think that a lot of people don't realize how much that they have bottled in or like even what things that they need to talk about more, but they aren't like having a mirror, right? Just like having a mirror to be able to reflect your experiences and like validate. Yeah. Validate. But also like, I really am trying to do all this work around like not needing, I mean, I've been doing this work for years and of not needing any external validation to like, like I trying to focus on this idea of like, I have value in independent of anything that I do, independent of anything I wear and like totally any, yeah. like just as a human being on this earth, like you have value always. Yeah. And there's, yeah. And like finding a way to like remove the, uh, the value we put on other people's opinions, you know? Because, like, ultimately the, an opinion is just someone saying, like, this is my experience of you, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't mean that's who you are. No. It's just, like, one of seven billion other people who have the ability to communicate to you their thoughts says, this is what I think about you. And maybe, like, if they're wrong, then they're just wrong, and that's okay. And if you're uncomfortable with what they said, then that's just feedback to, you know, think, like, oh, Someone perceived me as an asshole. Hmm. I don't want people to perceive me as an asshole because I'm not an asshole. I wonder what I did to make them think I'm an asshole because I'm not an asshole. You know, instead of being like, the fuck, I'm not an asshole. Yeah, everyone is going to... But that's part of this is like, I don't want to have to feel like my value is tied to whether or not people like me. 
And I think in cannabis, it's this kind of like, look at me, look at me kind of thing. Because you have all these people who are trying to be influencers. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you're just self-promoting until you like get enough eyeballs, you know? And, And that's not really what I, my game is. I'm not interested in that. And, um, but it's, it's also recently, it's like, you do have to ask for help. So like whether or not it's validation, I also think of feedback. So it's not necessarily like even positive validation. It's like, tell me what I did wrong so I can improve because I feel like I have really close connections to a lot of the people that I work with um, because people generally like me. And when I am asking them for negative feedback, it's like really hard. It's like, we have, I, I, I tell them like, this is not personal. Like I need to get better at what I am doing. And in, in order for me to get better, you need to tell me where I'm fucking up. And people are just like, Betsy, but you're great. No, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> just not giving me much. And it's I'm hard. And it's also difficult to give feedback. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think that business relationships in cannabis also get really complicated because you've like, I, or at least for me, like, I'm every brand you've seen, well, it's really, the landscape is changing so much right now that it's really hard to even say it's one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking about, like, this new wave of companies that are developing, whether that be, like, a vape brand now that's just getting flashy branding And I just think of, like, how... Okay, this is getting a little rambly, but I guess we're at that part of the episode. How long have we been talking? Um, Well... I don't know. 40 minutes? Yeah, wow. Yeah, we've entered bonus time, but keep going. Okay. Um, I just think that it used to be really about, like, the quality of flour. And um, also values... And that was sort of inherent in every cannabis business was like a not political, but like connected to the community in a way that like you you show up like when there is a hearing, you have representatives of your brand at these spaces because you have things that you need to fight for. And I think that um the fights that we were having at that time were a lot different than what we have now. So those fights were absolutely rooted in the kind of foundation of what cannabis was about. And um, now you're seeing the fights be about regulations versus like actually having cannabis in the first place. So like, I think there are different angles there. Totally. And, and so different, yeah, different people are looking for different, uh, victories. And I also think they're just like, because the model is just so different and it happened like overnight, you know, mm-hmm. it was like turkey bags yeah. brought oh my in God, through I the front that. into like child resistant jars with evidence. Yeah. Like yeah. overnight, yeah. like literally overnight. And so, um, you know, I think that when something has that significant of a shift in the model, inherently there become new, just like, it shakes it up. It just shakes the whole thing up, you know? Yep. It's like, you got a snow globe, and you shake it That's up, and then how it is. the dust settles differently. And so it's open, and because of the fees, and it, it's hard to make margins. And one of the ways to make margins is you just get 
hundred acres and just grow a bunch of, you know, decent weed that, that can yields like high and 14, 15% machine trimming yeah. and ship it to people who want $25 eights and like go for it. And like, and I don't think, I mean, there's still some amazing cultivars that like that are on the market. You can buy incredible cannabis. It's true. I mean, some of it's more expensive, sure, but like, yeah, but worth it's it. out there. Yeah. It's out there. There's fantastic outdoor, there's fantastic indoor. And then there's also like all this like massive produced generic stuff, but like, I don't know. I'm I, personally. But you I also kinda... like know who the right, like you look for certain growers probably. Like you're totally. attuned to that. Like and you've. I think that it's really hard for a new consumer to like understand what that is like. Like. I agree. I, I think agree that, with that. The education stuff. Yeah, and I think when you look at someone who's never seen any of these brands in their life before and they're reading a menu like how are they going to choose the best flower like that's really a it's breakdown tough. maybe i need to make we know weed into the yelp for weed which is like what i wanted to do originally <laughs> so everything could have user ratings but it's just so hard to get that many users but anyways um well cool so i guess um the other thing the only thing we haven't talked about that um I do, I am curious about is like what you might say, um, uh, you just like for anyone considering getting into the industry, you know, you're someone who kind of built your own track. Um, and I really appreciate that and like that. And, um, yeah, I'm just curious, like, um, what you might encourage someone interested in switching into the industry or, you know, pursuing a career in this industry to think about. I would say that um, the volatility of the industry is something that you really have to consider. Um, And the fact that all of the media is saying that the industry is growing at a rapid rate. But while that may be true, the ability to make money in this space is not as they projected. Yeah. And we're seeing that when you look at these companies like Ease who are laying off a ton of people yeah. and Weed the Maps big companies. and, um, and PAX and yeah. a lot of brands uh, have been through that in the last month or so. And so that's real. Like, I, like real. you have to know what your threshold is and you have to take care of yourself while you're going through it because... It, this industry is like on fire all the time yeah. and we're to. trying to move from this survival mindset to a thrive yeah. a thriving mindset and um, it's hard to do that because there you never I mean we don't even have federal legalization yeah. like that's gonna you really to, <laughs> like, you have to really be about it you and you really yeah and you have it. to be here for other reasons like if so then that's, what, what would you say are your reasons, uh, despite all, despite all of those, uh, words of warning, what, yeah. what keeps you, uh, unwavering in your faith and desire <laughs> to maintain a relationship with To also with not work for, industry? like, hemp CBD, which, like, that's a whole exploding sector, and, like, there have been exits that have been crazy in that sector, and yeah. I'm just like, why do I not care? Like, yeah. I literally don't care about hemp. Yeah. Like... So, I know, but it could have all these potentials for, like, fuel and, and like, totally. all this stuff. And I'm just, like, that's amazing because I also, like, really believe in the power of cannabis to really heal, um, 
a lot of problems that we have in the world. And that's one thing that I think of when I'm like, why am I so passionate about cannabis? Like, what else am I super passionate about that I can add this level of work to? Because I've done so much work in this industry in the last few years that it's like, why, why cannabis? Like, right. why, like, I mean, and what would get me on that question was, would really be about like, well, what's the mass potential of cannabis that we right. can, that like, if you dropped cannabis in every, everywhere, what would the world look like after that? And it's like, I know, people I would too. be nicer. People would relax easier. Like, like it, it I'm just, with you. and so that to me is like, like that's definitely a movement and that's worth it. And we're helping there's, there's so many intersections that cannabis, um, kind of occupies that also other communities that we simultaneously need to heal are there. And so if we bring cannabis into those spaces, more communities across, um, those intersections are, are able to reap the benefits and, um totally so I like that but I also think that um for me it's like I have always now there's a dog 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 barking (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how bad it is right um but well cool yeah so yeah pitting all the diverse places including boutique lovers of french pastries who just want to get a little high I think just people who want to get high. Like, let's just have fun, people. I'm trying to focus on this idea of pleasure over pressure. Because I think with Mm. my idea with Kabaked, which is the edibles, uh, I got really held up in needing it to be a monetized thing. Like, my grandpa would say to Mm. me, like, how many macarons does it make to does it take to buy a car? Right. And I'm like, fuck, that's a lot. You know, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> and so, and so once I kind of put it in the terms of like, this shit needs to pay my rent, it became impossible for me to get in the kitchen because every time I would mess up, I would be like, this isn't scalable. Right. Like you're, you're not able to like, and that's not where my love for this whole thing came from. Right. Like it really came from me sharing pastries that I, I made, and having people really go crazy over them and like that I was like wait I'm actually like good at this and this was like I started this out of uh I went to a middle school that was like a performing arts middle school and everyone in that school was like a trained actor dancer singer like would do like hours of yeah crazy talented in LA. So like these people are now famous like I went to school with a lot of those those Disney Channel people and um and DCPs. But I was shitty. I was like the worst singer. You were in a Disney Channel not, kid. <laughs> no, and so it it hurt me as a kid. I was like, what am I good at? Like I can't get you know? it weed. And well, it became. I would go home and I would just like make these elaborate pastries. Like, and I was young, and and um, and then when my friends and family would have it, they would be like, "This is amazing." And right. I'm like, "Oh, I'm great. amazing. Yeah, I found something." You know, and um, and so that was kind of where the love came from, and I love that. getting stoned also, and baking for your friends is the best because like they're happy with whatever you give them. Absolutely. Like they're just like so you put cinnamon on apples. What? Oh, 
I love Luca Bakery. Yeah, and I was like, I can do this. Like, this was insane. Can I give you five stars on Yelp? Yeah, please. Yeah? You can. Okay, I mean, I'm the Yelp Bakery has a five I'll star give... review on, or has only five stars on Facebook. Okay, I'll hit you with five stars. And when the first kebaked edible gets on the regulated market, you know, Whoa. you know, I'm gonna be buying that too. Yes. Um, cool. Well, I'm gonna say that with that, uh, I'm happy that you like getting high. I like getting high with you. We didn't talk about fun. how we met. How did? Oh well, I remember how we met. I remember very clearly. I was talking to Marty, oh, um, our old boss, our old boss, owner of Harvest. Shout out Harvest. Shout out Marty. And, uh, we, uh, were talking about Outside Lands, and he was like, yeah, um, I have, like, you could get some tickets, I want you to go, uh, cause, and go, like, with our current girl, uh, Betsy, she does it, you'll totally like her, she's awesome, she's like, you know, she's like, out there, <laughs> or something like that, and I was like, uh, yeah, okay, I think I like her. And I remember you showed up, and you were in, like, Outside Lands gear, gear. Yeah. so it was, like, big, like, waist-high gold pants, like, <laughs> giant earrings, like, a gold sequin, like, jacket, like, giant glasses, and I was like, hey, I'm Michael, and I'm in, like, collared shirt and pants, because I was, like, just interviewing stuff, and I was like, all right, I guess we're uh, going go to Outside Lands, talking but, to people about weed. <laughs> but that was cool, yeah, the first day oh, we man. met, we went to Outside Lands together. Wow, that was the first day. Right? To make content. Yeah. Look, here we, we are. We got great content. weed content then. Of course yeah. we did. Of course we did. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And then, here we are, two years later. Yep. You rock, Betsy. I'm very Me happy too. we met. Thanks for doing this. All right. The end.